1: may die either it's alive it's alive
0: it's alive I guess everyone's a title you
2: you know
0: what I told myself is I told myself early on that I was going to have the intro to this I was going to go back and listen to it Memorized. and type it down and I would memorize it and I didn't so <laughs>
1: here we are
2: I, then I didn't
1: yep so, well, yeah, hello, we 200 episodes of the last podcast and you never memorized it. That's true.
0: <laughs> well, hello, and welcome to the Psychotronic Film Society. He's got that part now. <laughs> no,
2: no, I don't, because but I just sli- said the Psychotronic Film Society. Podcast. <laughs> but slightly disheartened, slightly disheartened, just, well, hello, well, here we are.
0: <laughs> God, help me. This is Cinema Shock, and we celebrate genre of film we educate you and tell you all about a movie each week and as such we will do the same this week wow
1: that just (laughs) just uh, rolls off the tongue just rolls off the tongue it really does does. yeah
2: if they weren't on board before man Man.
1: we're putting that entire part on a t-shirt that's going to be our new slogan (laughs) well hey i'm one of your hosts gary horde it's good to Uh, good to see you guys i'm justin bishop and we are joined this week my special guest writer, comedian. Is not a
0: special guest anymore.
1: <laughs> writer and comedian. And I didn't have one for this week. Oh. But you know what, though? Titles don't matter, Todd. It's what you true. do that defines you. That's true. Todd, uh, I speaking
0: of which, have them. you hosted a bar mitzvah yet?
2: <laughs> Since last I week? Keep, I keep putting it out there that I'm available for bar mitzvahs and I keep getting um, silence. No. so the
1: the um the female version of a bar mitzvah is a
2: bat, bat mitzvah. mitzvah bat yeah. mitzvah is it bat or bot i'm saying bat because we're talking about batman this week. oh well, see, okay see All what right. i did there yeah 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 no that's what a good host does <laughs> but um, yes
1: it is bot yeah yeah <laughs> well that's what a good host does uh he uh he mangles foreign languages <laughs> it's what we do go. weekly here on the cinema yeah. shock podcast Honestly, welcome welcome
0: this is good. I, I like to start.
1: <laughs> it's so authentic. This week, this week we're uh, we're doing something fun. We're uh, we're moving on from horror for a few weeks, uh, mostly to throw Todd a bone. You know, <laughs> he was a good sport through our Romero Savini series. Todd is not as as into. I guess I don't. I don't want to say you're not a horror guy, Todd. I don't want to say that, <laughs> but I want to say that you you only like you mostly like a specific type of horror i'd say you're not as you don't get as deep into the genre as me and gary might
2: i think that's fair like and don't get me wrong it's not that i'm not willing to deep dive but if i'm if i'm going for just me you know i'll go with the classics i'll go with the tried and true i'll go with the cream of the crop as you will as as you might
1: are we doing a um macho man randy savage bit yeah there you go (laughs)
2: let me tell you something that's, no, the, wrong that's cool. that the wrong guy. I fucked that right up. I fucked that up. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on the NWA podcast.
1: saw <laughs> is ready. There you go. That's better. And a comic better. book
2: crossover. Very yeah. nice. <laughs> yes. Uh. So,
1: yes, that's what we're doing this week is we're having a comic book episode, a comic book series only for three weeks. I'm sure we'll tackle some other comic book stuff somewhere in the in the future. Yeah. But uh, we also wanted to do we wanted to do this for a couple of reasons. One, we've done almost straight horror for the last Ten weeks, with the exception, I guess, of Night Riders, but that's kind of a niche, little uh, little film. Uh, but we wanted to establish, since we're a new entity here at the Cinema Shock Podcast, that we're not just a horror podcast. We wanted to make that clear by not doing two horror series right there in a row. We are going to do a lot of horror movies uh, because me and Gary love them, and there's a lot of really fun, weird stuff in that genre, probably more so than any other. But we are also going to be doing, you know, action, sci-fi things like that. We're not going to do a ton of like mainstream movies like we're going to be doing for the next few weeks, but we do want to establish that those are open. We're open to the possibility of doing those. And we also kind of wanted to establish that not every series that we do is going to be focused on a filmmaker's full filmography, like we did with the Romero Savini series. Mm. Sometimes we're going to be doing, themed series where all the movies kind of fit into a theme and sometimes we're going to be doing franchises this franchise that we're doing happens to also be all from the same director but we're not of course looking at all of Christopher Nolan's filmography we're instead looking at just these specific films within it for now i'm sure at some point in the future we may we may discuss some of the, his other films but for now we're just discussing his take on the comic book genre
2: and i'm super excited cuz i mean i you know batman aside like Chris Nolan's a really great director. You know, he's got a great, uh, you know, great uh, crew of folks that he works with regularly and they make good movies. So I'm down.
1: Yeah. So a little, I'll give you a little history lesson here, Todd. I'm sure you've never heard any of this before. (laughs) I'm not going to get into the creation of Batman and Bob Kane. And what was the other guy? Bill Finger. Finger. Bill Finger. Yep. What the hell are we doing here then? (laughs) Well, I mean, listen. (laughs) Batman's history goes back all the way to the the late 1930s. So there's a lot of history there. He also has a pretty long history on film, which dates back almost as long as his comic book appearance. His first on-screen appearance dated back to 1943, which is just four years after his creation. That was in a 15-chapter serial produced by Columbia Pictures. There was another one that was produced uh, in the late 1940s as well. Uh, He's proven to be in my opinion, possibly the most popular comic book character of all time. Uh, I don't know that many people would argue that. Maybe some people would argue Superman, but I would argue that Batman is in the mainstream even more popular than Superman. And to date, he has appeared in 16 films with at least two more planned for the next couple of years, not to mention the various TV shows, both feature length and animated, feature length straight to video animated films that he's appeared in. Like the guy, there has been a, there's a lot of Batman content out there.
2: Is oh, what yeah. we're saying. Definitely no shortage of content.
1: <laughs> but I would say that the most popular iteration of the character, at least in the eyes of mainstream moviegoers, is the version Michael that Christopher King. Nolan introduced to the oh. world 15 years ago with Batman Begins. How do you know my name? The world is too small for someone like Bruce Wayne to disappear. Your parents' death was not your fault.
2: My parents deserved justice. I cannot let that pass. If you make yourself more than just a man, then you become something else
1: entirely. Which is... a legend,
0: Mr. Wayne. Mr. Wayne, are you coming back for long, sir? As long as it takes
1: to show the people of Gotham their city doesn't belong to the criminals and the corrupt. The guy dresses up like a bat. Clearly has
2: issues. God, it's weird to think about that it was 15 years ago. I mean, we—I mean, yep. you said it's, at the top uh, that we were dis- discussing something more mainstream, and then when you see God, 15 years ago, God, it's been that long.
1: It's been 15 years. At, as of this past June. Yeah. And hell, I mean, we'll be coming up on 10 years for Dark Knight Rises here shortly. Yeah. 15 years later, guys, and they're wearing masks all through
0: this movie. Yeah, yeah. Like even like actual <laughs> masks. Like Liam Neeson's got his like little whatever C ninety five or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, just <laughs> just
2: wear a mask, people.
1: So Christopher Nolan's story begins a lot like a lot of the big directors that get talked about, guys like Spielberg and and George Lucas. Uh, he's been a film fan since since he for as long as he could remember. So as a son of a British ad executive and an American flight attendant, Nolan, who has dual citizenship, actually split his time as a child between London and Evanston Illinois Gary's old stomping ground I don't know you're That's from some you not. live somewhere in Illinois I mean Illinois is a state so you know <laughs> I do you, are you familiar with
2: Evanston how far was that from where you were at
0: Gary I have no idea where Evanston is right it's top of my head so no <laughs> I can but look he, it up as we talk. I mean, if you would like to dedicate the rest of this podcast to talking about Evanston, let's talk about it. No, it's, it's close to, it looks like it's close to Chicago. It would appear it's right off okay. Lake Michigan.
2: Right. Uh,
1: oh, okay. So Nolan grew up obsessed with film and he seemed destined from an early age to grow up to be a filmmaker. Uh, he loved Ridley Scott movies. He loved 2001, a space odyssey. I uh, love Star Wars. And by the age of seven, he was borrowing his father's Super 8 camera and making stop motion movies using his action figures. Nice. Uh, this is a story you hear a lot with guys like Steven Spielberg. You know, they they borrowed somebody's camera as a kid and they started making movies because that's just what they wanted to do. And by the time he was 11 years old, he knew like I, when I grow up, I want to be a filmmaker. He knew that at that early age must be nice at such an early age to know what you're going to do with your life. I used Man. to make wrestling I'm, I'm pay-per-views on a video camera with my with my wrestling figures. I would I would make
0: like WWE pay-per-views. And and currently I'm doing jack shit with that skill.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean you do
1: have a wrestling <laughs>
0: podcast. So you like,
2: just sponsored a pay-per-view, didn't you?
1: Yeah. yeah That's kind of like making one. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, so fast forward a few years after college, Nolan filmed and released his first feature called following. That was 1998. It's a black and white film made for only about 3,000 pounds, won several awards during its festival run, and was well-received by critics, and eventually gave Nolan the opportunity to make Memento two years later. I feel like everybody
0: starts off with these black and white movies. like They're just like, we got to come in classy.
1: Well, it's cheap. The film is cheaper.
2: Oh, okay. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, mid to late 90s, black and white was still probably the least expensive way to go yeah
1: because aronofsky did it that way too but yeah uh, fa- uh, black and white film is simply less expensive. So did
2: kevin smith so did um george romero
1: yeah well george yeah. romero
2: yeah <laughs> i yeah he's well, in company
1: and following was one of those movies that was made over kind of like night of the living dead over the course of months and months mostly <laughs> shooting on weekends and things like that uh and and you know it's, it's a story you hear a lot but have you guys seen following I don't think I've seen it, I no. Think- I, would, I would recommend checking it out. If you have the Criterion channel, I believe it's on there. I know that they released it on Blu-ray. Uh, it's worth checking out, especially if you're a fan of Nolan's work. Just Wait a minute. It. I saw this way back in the day. Yes, yeah. I did see this. I do remember this, actually. It's really good. It's only like it. a little over an hour long. It's It's pretty solid. It's not as well-formed as Memento would be a couple years later, but you can see some of the same ideas there. I remembered cool. it. I remembered it
0: as, as I saw, like, you know, I started thinking about Memento and I remember being blown away by Memento and trying to find whatever else this guy did. And yeah, uh, so following, I do remember finding it then. Um, I, w- I would just like to announce that I was very excited to remember that I had seen it and I'm trying very hard this week to not hit the desk. So yes. I just like to <laughs> let our listeners know I hear it, too. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it's be oh, crazy. Oh, we hear it. <laughs> that I, I constantly that Gary speak with my hands and I'm slapping the desk. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Just so, like beating my meat over here. Um, please
2: don't.
0: <laughs> you know the 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 guy, the anchor just got in trouble for that. Just got let go from CNN, Jeffrey Tubin, did you see that? For
1: R- really wank,
0: for wanking it at the desk? Yeah, he apparently thought he had turned his Zoom chat off. It was like in a break. They were doing like an election uh, war games, like strategy session. And uh, he he thought he had turned his Zoom chat off. And then he just started beating it. (laughs) Like right there. And everybody just saw him started spanking it right on the uh, Zoom chat. And uh, so anyway, he got fired.
1: Yeah, well, as as he probably should have. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. So Memento ended up being... Nolan's breakthrough film it it kind of is the one that brought him to the wider attention of Hollywood so impressed by his work on Memento Steven Soderbergh recruited Nolan to direct Insomnia which is a remake of the Norwegian film of the same name and that movie was a success too It it did a lot of it did a lot of good business at the box office it was critically well received and it gave Nolan a lot of clout in Hollywood the guy had done two fairly low budget thrillers back-to-back, both were well-received by both critics and audiences. And so he starts getting all these offers and starts working on a lot of other projects. And after a couple of those projects were either abandoned or things just kind of fell apart in early 2003, he approached Warner Brothers with the idea of making a new Batman movie. So by 2003, the Batman franchise was pretty much dead. I mean, it was dead. There had been some attempts to make some other films, but Batman as a franchise had was dead in the water, as was the comic book genre in general, honestly, there had not been a successful comic book movie in quite a long time by that point. And both of those things, both the fail, the, the kind of failure of the Batman franchise and the comic book industry th- that was all attributed to basically one movie. And that was 1997's Batman and Robin.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a hard one to watch. <laughs> about, See, as I hard, mean, about as hard as my bat nipples.
1: <laughs> I, I think the most popular version of Batman to date at, the, at that time was without a doubt Tim Burton's Batman released in 1989. Right. Uh, it was the biggest movie of 1989. Uh, Burton followed it up with a batshit crazy sequel Yeah. T- three years later that uh, it, it, when you go back and watch it, it's kind of wild that a studio let him do yeah. that. Uh, and they thought the same thing because it was so batshit crazy that Warner Brothers was afraid to let him make a third movie because mm-hmm. Batman Returns was wildly successful. Normally, you want to bring the director back, but they're like, uh, he went a li- he might have gone a little <laughs> too far with this one. But audiences <laughs> loved it, but Warner Brothers executives were a little bit put off by it. So, for the third film in that franchise, they instead hired Joel Schumacher, director of Lost Boys, Falling Down, etc. Now, we're not going to get too far into our thoughts on Schumacher's Batman films because that's a that's a discussion that deserves its own episode, probably at some point. Yeah. But uh, his second Batman film, Batman and Robin, was it was financially successful enough. Uh, it made less than any of its predecessors, but it still it did okay, but not good enough by Warner Brothers standards mm-hmm. and was just railroaded by critics and audiences. Like they hated it. Everyone hated it uh, other than like maybe young children. It is still to this day considered one of the worst superhero films of all time. Yeah. Well, everybody chill for a second uh, <laughs> hey i <laughs> i would not if we were having a discussion on batman and robin i would not be the one to just completely destroy it because i think it has its merits if you watch it as the campy movie that schumacher was trying to make right yeah i, I mean I think it was related back to
0: Maybe not so it, I think it blew people's minds that were watching Batman at the time, uh that had been watching the movies. It blew their minds as much as like 1989's Batman blew the minds of the uh older audience that had grown up on the uh old TV series, probably did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
2: to be honest, I mean, I, I alluded to this uh last last uh episode last week, but um you know, I've grown to just accept that every generation has their own Batman. So that version is somebody's version. So I love it. Yeah. It's, it's the same people okay. that
1: love the, the star Wars prequels. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And
0: then those things, whether we like it or not, they're going to live on. People uh, love because them. Cause the, I don't understand
1: it. But people love yeah. them. The newer generation digs it. But as a result of the failure, of Batman and Robin, a fifth Batman movie was scrapped by Warner brothers uh, because they had originally planned on bringing Schumacher back for a third film but they they scrapped those ideas after after Batman and Robin. They're like, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> uh, and then Warner Brothers spent a few years pursuing the idea of rebooting the franchise, including an origin story written by Joss Whedon, which I thought was interesting that I didn't nice. know about. When Nolan pitched his version of a Batman origin story to Warner Brothers, he pitched it as a story more grounded in reality, uh, which is the total opposite of the kind of high camp comic book tone of, of Schumacher's films. And I think that's probably part of what appealed to them about it, that this was like a complete 180 in tone from what Schumacher had been doing.
2: You know, because of course, once Hollywood sees that something's successful, they do 50 knockoffs of it. But the whole thing was just like, oh, it's dark and gritty. And it's like, no, watch these again. It's not dark and gritty. It's realistic. It's taken seriously.
1: Yeah. So after he pitched this, like Warner Brothers was sold. They liked his idea and they hired him to direct the film. Within a couple of months, David S. Goyer was brought on to write the script for it. Now, Goyer and Nolan had known each other for a while. They met around the time of Memento. They they were introduced by, like, a mutual friend. And Goyer, of course, was a lifelong Batman fan. I think he wrote for DC for a little while. And he had already achieved some comic book movie success with the first two Blade movies. I think at the time of the development, the third Blade movie had not come out yet, which he uh, wrote and directed, and even he is not a fan of. Yeah. (laughs) Nolan kind of knew, like Nolan was a comic book fan, but not like a diehard comic book fan. You know, like he he liked comic books enough to have the idea of, hey, he came to Warner Brothers with the idea of doing a Batman movie, but he wanted to bring somebody on who he knew was like an expert. So he called his friend David Goyer. That's kind of how that happened because he knew, he knew Goyer could be the guy that he could call and ask all these questions. And at first, Goyer didn't want to do it Uh, because he was busy making Blade Trinity or writing and developing Blade Trinity, and he didn't think he had time. But at first, Nolan was like, hey, well, can I at least just call you if I have any questions? You can kind of be my consultant, and he was fine with that. Eventually, Nolan just called him and is like, you got to do this. You got to write this script.
0: I saw like a really cool, like little documentary thing with those guys on it. And, uh, you know, Nolan talks about, like you said, always, he had always had interest in doing a superhero movie, but like you said, he was intrigued with, bringing it into reality as much as possible. What would it actually take for a man to do this thing? What would be the process? Is it even possible? That sort of thing. Goyer, like you said, is is a lifelong comic book fan. By the way, it's worth mentioning, he has roots in the cult film world. I mean, his first gig was like, Death Warrant with John Van John Claude Van Damme. Nice. Uh he's responsible for uh Full Moon's demonic toys, Doll Man versus Demonic Toys, Puppet Festival yeah. versus Demonic Toys. <laughs> uh he did Crow City of Angels.
1: Remember how we always talked about how L. Roger Corman is connected to everything? Is Charles Band connected to everything?
0: He I think he somewhat is, <laughs> yes. And like you mentioned, he he was he was writer for the first two blade movies. He was executive executive producer by the time of the second. And he, 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 he even wrote the uh, Nick Fury TV movie that came out oh, with yeah. David Hasselhoff. It was David Hasselhoff, Hart. yeah. yeah. He, he he produced, like you said, produced and directed Blade Trinity. He would go on to be executive producer for like the Ghost Rider movies, the Blade TV series, the Constantine T- TV show. Like the, his comic book love is not an act. It was, and this is all just worth mentioning because I remember during this time, like Goyer was... Uh, A relatively hot commodity in comic fandom. I was a heavy reader during this time, and you never picked up an issue of Wizard without this guy's name being somewhere in it. Uh, There was hardly a comic property he, he didn't touch. And if you knew nothing else about Hollywood as a comic book nerd, you knew who David S. Goyer was. Uh, so I think that like that passing friendship that they had, he knew that Goyer, I I think there was a conversation between the two that he knew this was his ultimate dream. Like Goyer, like when he moved to Hollywood talks about, like he told his mom, one day I'm going to work on a Batman movie. Yeah. So like, I mean, Nolan called up Goyer to talk about it, but like you said, Goyer Goyer was tied up with Blade Trinity, Trinity, and he wasn't going to have time. So he's like, I can't do this. He's like, but here's my ideas for free. I've always had some ideas if you want to tackle them here, they are. And so like Goyer did pass them off to N- Nolan. And of course, Nolan loved it. And this time drew near, he kept calling Goyer over and over again, kind of how you hinted at. And uh, just said, like, you have to be here for this. Don't make a mistake. And uh, sure enough, Goyer carved out the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which you
1: know worked out well for him.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I think it's also, um, and I kind of alluded to this a few minutes ago, but like, it's important to know that Batman and Robin was kind of the end of an era and then this one you know this and probably uh, the first Hellboy movie really kind of started a new era of comic book movies that were being taken seriously that were heavily, that were also being made with the comic book people the quote unquote comic book people's creators like heavily involved in the production yeah. Just because before that it was just kind of like all right we'll take this idea and we'll you know we'll break it you. down and we'll you know let the movie people handle it but um you know this this kind of was the jumping off point for this brand new um for this new approach to the comic which we're books.
1: still living in today
2: yeah, which is going strong today.
1: So one of those ideas that Nolan and, and Goyer kind of put forth was to fill in this huge gap that's typically in Batman's origin stories. Like you see him walking out of the opera or the movie theater, depending on which version I guess you're reading. Because uh, I know there's some versions where he's watching Zorro, I think, on the screen. Yeah.
0: It's Zorro. Yeah. Uh,
1: but you see him walking out of the opera and his parents get killed. Then we just cut to him already in a cape and a cowl and he's Bruce Wayne, he's ready to go. Or he's Batman. So Goyer said... He got to put forth the question like how the fuck did he get from point A to point B. Yeah, that was the big Which spot is a direct that, quote from Go here by the way.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean he he straight up says that, that that was this thing. That was the big spot that he felt like had never like what's the thing we can tackle that hasn't been covered in <laughs> The movies and even in the comics. It's like in the it's Bible
1: like, where you see Jesus as a baby, you see him once. It's I like literally a thought of this example. <laughs> <I didn't. laughs> and then you see him fully formed as Jesus. You don't see when when do we get Jesus begins? Yeah. When what's do we get Jesus you, in the begins what's that book you gave the me cowl? Justin Lamb that I borrowed? Oh yeah, the Christopher Moore book. That yeah. fills in the gaps. That is our Batman, <laughs> Batman begins for Jesus. That's Jesus begins. That's a great, <laughs> that's a
0: great book. But no, yeah, is like, hey, everybody knows Bruce Wade's parents gets killed. They know that. Uh, he disappears and apparently got really badass, and he comes back and he starts being Batman, but nobody yeah. really ever tried to detail. What was that period? What was he where he, doing? he disappeared?
1: Right. And the closest that we had come to exploring this was Frank Miller's Batman Year One. But even that begins with Bruce arriving in Gotham a few years later. He's been gone for six or seven years, and he's already kind of got the idea of Batman planted in his head. So there was still like an untold story there of where he was and what, what he was doing and where did this idea come from.
2: If you, if you look at Bruce Wayne's journey from, from the alleyway to... cape and cowl there's him kind of leaving gotham there's him studying abroad and then when i don't know what her name was but anyway when he gets back he gets back and it's not it's not just like oh and great my batman costumes here from amazon it's he he takes some time to develop that right and that's that's what's covered in year one so there was still a big chunk that was being left out
1: exactly and
2: so sam ham who wrote
1: batman 89 the screenwriter there's a quote from him that says, "You destroy, you totally destroy your credibility if you show the literal process by which Bruce Wayne becomes Batman." Obviously, Nolan and Goyer disagreed with that. Yeah, uh, and I, I think, <laughs> but I and I think that this take, this idea of showing the development of his character, not the often touted dark, gritty take on the world of Batman, I think, but it is the development of the character that really puts this movie apart from all the other ones. I'm glad you yeah. mentioned that. I mean
0: I think that's 100% right. Like it's yeah. uh
1: it's it's that you you get
0: where Bruce Wayne develops his philosophy on what he's doing. Yeah. And uh that that's an interesting take on him that nobody had ever seen like that you background.
1: Just, I mean yeah, you see Bruce Wayne become Batman. You see him yeah. you see him get from point A to point B. In most recent Batman movies, recent at this time, like the Schumacher ones and and even the Tim Burton ones, Batman was Barely a character. I mean, you got some stuff with him and his love interest, et cetera, occasionally. But the focus of those movies was not even really Batman. He was largely a background element in films that were essentially origin stories for his villains. The, the, those movies were always about the villains. And that's another thing that they do very clearly in this one, even more so than in the next two, is that this movie doesn't focus on the villains much. It, it's all about Bruce. Yeah, I, I like that
0: too. And that's one thing that absolutely stood out to me here is that this is Batman begins. This is obviously you've got some s- standout villains from the stories, uh, Falcon and uh, Ra's al Ghul and Scarecrow, that sort of thing, but they're kind of already doing their thing by the right. time Batman shows up in this world. Uh, and so you're really getting the origin of Batman, but I think that makes it okay that for the later ones and, I'm sure we'll tackle how well it handles them, but that at least in the later ones, if you give him at least this one where it really functions to tell you the story of who this guy is, it's okay for him to, his, you you already know this guy now. So like, mm-hmm. it's okay for the later ones to focus in on some villains.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's, I mean, this goes as far as to Bruce doesn't even know, really what he's doing when he's approached by ducard in the prison cell and ducard says you may find what you were looking for and he goes well what am i looking for he's like "Only you you know that like he, and even when he gets to the temple he's struggling to find the words he's just kind of like i'm seeking and then he spurts it out and that's kind of okay the ball's rolling now yeah so, yeah i mean this this is literally the beginning of batman
1: he's discovering his himself yeah. I guess for for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, so for Ooh. Nolan the jumping relates back to off. the top of the podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for Nolan the jumping off point of inspiration was a short story called The Man Who Falls, uh, written by uh, by Denny O'Neill and Dick Giordano. Have you mm-hmm. read this one, Todd?
2: Uh, I am I'm not, not. I was not
1: familiar with this one before looking into this.
2: Yeah, I am not familiar with this one either. However, I have read a shit ton of Denny O'Neill and uh, Dick Giordano's. Uh, yeah, so stuff this one kind of their their stuff is kind of seminal on the character.
1: Well, it kind of uh, shows explores Bruce's travels throughout the world, and an early scene in Batman Begins where uh, where Bruce falls into the well is actually taken from this story. Nice. So for Goyer. Jeff Loeb and Tim Sales along Halloween served as a major inspiration with, you know, Carmon, uh, Car- Carmine Falcone as the villain. and And also he said, you know, Goyer also said he took inspiration from that story because of its more somber, serious approach. Long yes. Halloween
2: is very not to you know spend a lot of time here, but just it's first of all if you've never read it, it's amazing because it actually shows Batman as a detective yeah, yeah. and the stuff that happens in there to some of the characters is pretty heavy so yeah it's it's definitely worth reading and getting it's, a nice it's copy funny you
0: say film. that because we're gonna have to get into this later as we discuss the movie itself but uh that's that's interesting about that because uh i i thought the same exact thing and i have some stuff to say about it but i will say that jeff Loeb, tim sales stuff for anybody not familiar yeah, i'm a fan with checking. all of their stuff i think i've got them all like a uh hardback like graphic novel form haunted night long halloween dark victory he does superman for all seasons they do some cap spidey hulk daredevil stuff it's just good stories and, like, great art.
1: They do, like, Daredevil yellow and Hulk gray and all that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right. And Spidey blue, blue the Spider-Man colors. blue and yep. Cap
0: white. Yeah. Um, yeah. The really cool part to me about this whole story, though, is, like, what ended up happening is that, like, Nolan and Gorier hung out every day in, like, Nolan's garage uh, as Gorier was available. They they would hang out and just shoot the shit. They, they literally took walks each day to the old Batcave from the TV show. Uh, Which was right down from like Christopher Nolan's place. And uh, that's funny. Yeah. And another funny story. I wish I could just take walks to the old Batcave. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. They would go and just like hang out there. And uh, a funny story Gorier tells for the time is that when he realized he was, he was, all right, I'm going to work on this. He went out and bought like all of this Batman stuff, like graphic novels and all this stuff. And he said, like, he was a regular at the comic shop. And so, like, his people at the comic book shop knew who he was. And so they're like, why are you buying all this batman shit man like what's going on <laughs> he's like okay i you know i'm just sitting feeling batman right now like i just want to read it you're working on batman aren't you and he's like no nah, i'm just like i'm interested in batman like he couldn't talk about it yeah and uh they would like ask him every day and then like when it blew up that he was working on batman they were like you son of a bitch i knew it, I you knew it. To us. <laughs> and, uh, but he said he realized like how big it got Really, though, when he was talking to, to Nolan and they would go to this diner all the time, like they would go sit in this diner, and would hash out stuff. Uh, he said he remembered Christian Nolan would always order an omelet with avocado, a side of bacon and cream cheese. And yes, that is the kind of detail you will only get on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were like on the Internet one night and uh, somebody had snapped a picture of them sitting in the diner. And uh, they're like, there's Christopher Nolan and David Goyer. And people were like, holy shit, they're obviously working on Batman. So then like a call got put out to like, if you're in the area, hang out at this diner and wait for them to show up. (laughs) Try to walk past the table and take a photo of their notes (laughs) on the table. (laughs) (laughs) It's just nuts. Uh, The internet, man. uh, But but what's crazy too, like I I loved about this, sorry to keep rambling on, but like, they, they said that, you know, like, during this time, like, Nolan's like, I had to call in my buddy, Nathan Crawley, uh, production designer. Um, he's like, he brings him into the garage, and they start sketching out Gotham, the suit, other ideas. They literally had Nathan Crawley start building Gotham City right in Christopher Nolan's garage, Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Like Blade Runner was a huge inspiration. They watched Blade Runner, like got that down for like how the city would look and like some ideas. Um, And they said like as Goyer and Nolan are tossing out ideas, Nathan would jump in and be like, hey, I hear what you're saying, but what if, what if Bruce Wayne did this thing? And so they're like, all right, join the circle. So then, like, <laughs> he said, uh, Nolan describes this as, like, one of the most fun times he's ever had making a movie. It's, like, him and David Goyer and Nathan Crawley, like, hanging out in his garage, like, just shooting the shit and tossing ideas and building on them with each other. They started, yeah. like, passing stuff back and forth to the studio under, I think, the title at the time was The Intimidation Game. Yeah. Was what they used. And, uh, and eventually, when they were ready, like, WB actually – had to come take a meeting in Nolan's garage to see and <laughs> hear the final pitch for what they were doing. That's great. Well, hell
2: that. they were so secretive with the script. It was like, you either got a 20 minute phone call with Chris Nolan or you sat in the garage. <laughs> and he uh, well, for,
1: for Michael kane Michael Kane tells a story where uh, he gets a, like a knock on the door one day and he opened he, his, he's home alone. His, I don't. I don't think he has a butler or anything, but he uh, he's there. So he he answers the door himself. And Christopher Nolan is at his door. Christopher Nolan's standing nice. there. Nice. And he's like, I gotta. He's like, Can you read something for me? And Michael Caine, who knew who Christopher Nolan was because he knew Insomnia and Memento, he was like, Okay. He's like, Yeah, just leave it. I'll read it. And Christopher Nolan's like, No, you gotta. Like, I'm I'm gonna stay here while you read it, and then I'm gonna take the script with me when you're done. And Michael Caine thought you know it was going to be another one of those small little thrillers like he had done before so he starts he, he spends like half an hour reading the script and he's like re, he he starts reading it and he realizes this is a batman movie which is totally not what he was expecting it to be awesome yes and, and i think he signed up like or at least handshake deal was made there on the spot you know that he he loved it and wanted to be part of it it's freaking
0: awesome. yeah I, Yeah, he. well, we'll we'll get to Michael Caine more.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess this is a good time to talk about the casting of the film. So you've got, uh, obviously, we've got Christian Bale as Batman, first one you got to talk about. So, Bale was a relatively unknown actor at this time. He had done mostly, like, indie stuff. He, of course, was a child actor uh, from, you know, Newsies and Empire of the Sun, but wasn't, like, a mainstream guy. Like, American Psycho had already been made, but As we know, American Psycho was not like a hit upon release. It became a cult classic later on. I had actually, I remember seeing Christian Bale in a movie in 2002, so not long before this, called Equilibrium. Uh, And that movie, first of all, if you haven't seen it, it is a badass movie. Yeah, it's really awesome. (laughs) It is really awesome. And now this could be my memory playing tricks with me, but I remember in my mind thinking when I saw that movie, this guy would be a fucking good Batman, yeah. you know, I, uh, I, because I, I don't think you're the-
0: lying about that, Justin, because I I, I literally was thinking about this uh, yeah. as I watched the movie and I was like, what was it? I remember being excited. And it was that. So like American Psycho had hap- like happened, like you said, uh, I remembered having seen the guy in Reign of Fire. With yeah, Rain of Fire McCoy. was around the same time. Yep.
1: Yeah, and um, and um which is also a badass movie, if you haven't
0: seen it, that gets yeah. not enough love. Yeah. Right. And I guess Patrick Bateman's probably the most closely connected as far as, as, far as being a narcissistic rich guy. So he yeah. kind of had that part. But I do remember the big movie that people would point me to, and I think, I swear, like this was the... Early in our friendship, too, I remember you pointing me to like equilibrium. I feel like, and uh, and I feel like that movie demonstrates the the gun kata that they do. I just remember being excited about this movie because I was like, I think as a comic nerd, you're just interested in having a Batman who actually looks like he could whip someone's ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. had that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they
2: show they showcase his physique. Quite frequently and graphically in American Psycho. Yeah. But like when you see the stuff that he's doing in Equilibrium, it's like, you know, those two things combine. You're like, yeah, how is this guy not
1: bad? Right. Cause you kind of see the Batman side of him in Equilibrium and the possible Bruce Wayne side of him in American Psycho. Yeah. So that one, two kind of goes like in your brain, this guy's Batman.
0: Well, you what's
1: know? funny about that is you say that. And I remember seeing like in some stuff, Nolan's
0: biggest concern was that he he said that he had plenty of guys who could be Bruce Wayne, and he had yep. other guys who could be Batman. Yep, right. But yep. you wanted a guy who you could who believe as both. both. Find you a man who can do both. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Nolan's idea was that, that Bruce Wayne in this movie is getting just as much time as Bats, so you need if an actor... More. Yeah, or more. And uh, so you need an actor that can keep the audience engaged and they're not just marking time until the next time the cape and cow come out.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, it's I mean, I've I said that for years of just like all these guys who are, you know, who get the opportunity. It's like they don't change at all once they put the mask on. And I was just like, they they just don't get it.
0: Yeah. Well, for Nolan, what the biggest thing was with Bale was he thought that Bale had the eyes. I saw mm-hmm. that about him. Like uh, He said that Nolan loved Bale's intensity and the look he'd have. He yeah. thought it felt like you could really believe this was a guy
1: who became
0: unhinged enough uh, to dress he a, would like, take it this at. far. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, yeah. and Bale had shown interest in the role dating all the way back to Darren Ar- Aronofsky's development of a year one film. And also Wolfgang Peterson was developing a Batman versus Superman for a while. And uh-huh. Bale was showing interest in both of those projects. So he had wanted to be Batman for a while. Uh And, and a couple of uh, other actors who had been considered either by Nolan or by the studio were Henry Cavill actually was one. Uh, Billy Crudup, Jake Gyllenhaal actually went, got pretty close to getting this role. Uh, Joshua Jackson, David Boreanaz, who I think is a pretty interesting. That is interesting, because Angel is kind of very Batman esque. I'm curious if
0: that relates back to the Joss Whedon initial involvement or something. It's possible, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, Killian Murphy, actually. Do you say Killian or Cillian? I say Cillian, but I don't don't say. I've been saying Killian. I don't know what's right, but yeah, (laughs) the K. (laughs) <laughs> anyway mr murphy was considered and heath ledger actually was in consideration well glad he didn't get that because he nailed it the next time around yeah yeah and so <laughs> another really cool christian bale movie that had just recently come out was uh, one called the machinist i don't know if you guys have seen it it's a great I have. movie i have yeah, seen it. Uh, yeah. and wild. he lost a ton of weight because he plays this emaciated guy who with with insomnia and he he looks Horrible in it. Like, in yeah. fact, when when Warner Brothers like met with Christian Bale, do about- not body shape Christian Bale, <laughs> Justin. <laughs> when they met with Christian Bale about Batman, he was so skinny you could see his spine like through his shirt. And they're like, "How is this guy going to be Batman?" But you know, Nolan <laughs> convinced him, and Bale hired a personal trainer to help him gain weight, and he gained a hundred pounds of muscle.
2: And then and great and was he
1: like, was good, "Good for you." <laughs> <laughs> he was probably like forty pounds underweight, but he gained hundred pounds of muscle in the span of only a couple of months. Would actually put him about thirty pounds over where he needed to be, and he wouldn't fit in the bat suit. So they, so he had to go back and lose some of the weight before filming began. Then to prepare for the fight scenes, he actually trained in Wing Chun. Yeah, I, I
0: think it's worth mentioning a guy here that's really important is a, a dude named David Foreman, uh, who's the fight arranger on this movie. And he's all over the place. This is a guy who's doing stunts and fighting from like uh, he's he's in like two to three movies a year. You will find this freaking guy. Uh he's, Ninja he's, Turtles. He was at Ninja Turtles, he's Leonardo, <laughs> yeah. uh, to James Bond to Star Wars to handling Game of Thrones. He actually got handed a big opportunity here and worked closely with Nolan on this stuff. So, so like what Justin was saying when Nolan walked in and they saw Bale. I think the last meeting Nolan and Bell had was during the machinist and Nolan had impressed on him. Like, look, man, we can't sell you like this. Like you gotta, (laughs) you gotta get as big as you can because if I'm going to pitch this to WB and I want you to be the man, but you gotta get as big as possible. Well, we know Christian Bell is obviously a fan of body transformation and nobody takes him seriously when it comes to this. And he went from his lowest in the machinist, which was, 110 to 120 depending on where you read and he walked back in to meet with these guys at 220 Gosh. and <laughs> and so christian bale's a six foot tall guy even and he normally sits at like 180 yeah uh when he walked in nolan was like oh holy shit <laughs> <And> he <laughs> asked like a bodybuilder. <laughs> and foreman said i
1: I don't know if I could work with it. He's just a big fucking bear now. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I like- wonder if there are
1: any pictures of him from that time where he was just enormous. Like you know,
2: it's funny because uh, in you know watching this again, and I watched it twice this week at, in addition to like all the special features that are on the Blu-ray. But if you look at the if you look at some of the training sequences when he's at Ross Ghul's temple, and then at the sequence of him doing push-ups in the bedroom, you can see the two different the two different body types like when he started his training he's bigger he's bigger but once he gets back to Gotham he's a lot leaner and he's a lot more it's a lot more defined muscle
1: when he played uh Dick Cheney last year that's his body type that I most (laughs) um uh connect with right
0: uh no I I connect with the fighter when he's a crackhead uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. what about uh like uh, american hustle or whatever where he just had a just a beer <laughs> belly. Exactly. yeah yeah that's, the, no, yeah, that's, that's
2: me that's yeah. me so uh justin you take cheney and then uh <laughs> gary you've got yours and I'll, yeah and i'll take i'll we'll take just be
0: one. a different chris nolan her christian bale i mean um <laughs> uh, no no what what i love about it is like nolan had to sit down and say okay look i'm sorry but this is too much. Like when I say get <laughs> as big as possible, I did not know. I did it not be, be literally. literally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I
2: think, I think famously he said, uh, we're making Batman, not fat man.
0: Yeah. That was a tale that Christian Bell says. It's like people in the crew were like, are we making Batman or fat man? Come on, dude. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) And he said, uh, you you gotta lean up. Hey, 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 Nolan tells the story that like, usually when you tell an actor to lose or gain weight, they're like, Oh yeah, tell the wardrobe department I'll do this or that or whatever. And the wardrobe department takes it with a grain of salt. He said that after they saw like Christian Bell, they're like, and they started like researching it. they're like all right he's like what what are you going to do and bell would be <laughs> like i'm going to get it to here i will be this many inches here this is like my size and nolan went to the wardrobe department and said I mean, because especially because they're molding a suit here yeah, <laughs> he yeah. said okay yeah. he is going to be this size and take this literally like <laughs> yeah like this is the size he will be and he said he came down to the wire but christian bell came in it was like that i'm this size it works
2: yeah it and works. uh
0: and one of the big and k- reasons, kudos
2: kudos because he's yeah he fucking kills it
0: well one of the big things you see in like stuff is like depictions of batman sometimes he does look like a big bear but i mean look at frank miller's dark knight you know. Yeah, exactly. And but for for Foreman and these guys, I mean, a big part of this was the fighting. And Batman's going to need stamina more than size. That was like one of Foreman's concerns, I remember. And the the suit, the martial it's arts, not the
1: size, it's the motion in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. Uh, Justin mentioned Wing Chun, but one of the big things they tackled was if Batman is doing what he's doing, everybody's seen karate, they've seen kung fu. Uh, we need something different. And so that's why they went out and they found this Kesey fighting method.
2: Casey, Casey, fighting Casey, method. Casey. I yeah. apologize.
0: Yeah, it is no. Casey. <laughs> Casey fighting method, uh, which was founded by uh, Justo Diegues and Andy Norman. I think that's their names. They, they also brought them in to work on this film. At the time, this was pretty unknown. I think they used it in like Mission Impossible 3. Like uh, yeah, that,
2: it's a very young style, but it's slowly gaining some traction.
0: Yeah, now it's pretty now it's becoming more and more common. It's it. this is yeah. Jack Reacher, this is what uh Daniel Craig uses a James Bod, etc. Bale liked it too because it's it's about being reactionary and using whatever's there at the moment, just whatever feels right, like in his detail for the character it was about being aggressive like when you put on that suit you become an animal you yeah. are just a monster you're just like battling with whatever's there just attacking however um in, and so- in my
2: in my brief well i've been doing and involved in martial arts for a little while but in my experience i've never seen i've never seen a style so clean meaning there's no wasted movement with casey with uh with kfm and it is a it is it is as equally brutal as it is clean um so and it's really fascinating to watch because i feel like it just hasn't really gotten its fair uh exhibition in a movie like it's been used here and like you said mission Possible three and i think a couple other places but uh yeah it just really hasn't gotten the big solid push well, in popular, popular culture. Yes,
0: yeah, just... but they describe that as being part of what they think is fun about it. Like yeah. it's a it's a it's a currently evolving martial art. You know, people wouldn't be as familiar with having seen something like it. It's a very close quartered style martial art from my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And so the biggest challenge was is that you do have to be more expressive on screen, uh, not theatrical, but like more expressive so they could get the shots and that thing. Um, yeah. But, but all of them, one of the cool things I thought was really interesting is that all of them describe being disgusted by Christian Bale. Because apparently Christian Bale has a photographic memory. And yeah. so they would say, like, we'll show him 20 moves. And in a half hour, he will nail them Perfectly. Wow. Every well and I think a lot time. of that
2: comes I think a lot of that comes from his background as a dancer. If if I recall the some of the things that were being said about him on Equilibrium was that because he was a trained dancer, he was able to pick the martial arts stuff up pretty pretty quickly. They yeah. say
0: they would like block out the fights and like they would spend forever like blocking out what do these fights look like how's this go and he would just be like can I get a tape of that and they would have taped it and he would take it home he'd come back the next morning and he knew it exactly they literally say they have like 18 hours of footage of Christian Bale fighting and like he just was just so good and they would keep training (laughs) with him each time they'd like correct him on something immediately he had the next thing and and they're saying like what it, what's even crazier is, this is like this is not like easy fights like not like no. <laughs> like no. just like, these are thought out processes. There's a focus on him knowing each area he's supposed to be targeting in this scene and why he's hitting where they like know like what bones like part of that uh, Casey fighting message is like what bones are here? Why are you hitting where you're hitting at the time that you're hitting? And he right. knew all of this. And not only that, but they wanted to show it was more than just, like, learning skills. They wanted this to be a thing about Bruce Wayne having courage. So there was a focus on they wanted multiple opponents at once and not attacking one at a time. They wanted, like, everybody piling on. I mean, this is like the Ra's al Ghul line. It's like, you've trained. You can fight six opponents. We're going to train you to fight 600 and uh like they wanted that to be a thing that there's like courage involved in this person. These are big fights. And, uh, and, and then Christian Bale is like, no, I'm learning all this. I'm doing every single one. And they're like, no, we got stuck guys. And he's like, no, I'm doing them. Like, and they're like, now we have to also worry about
1: you don't fucking get injured in the middle of the because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're like swinging at you. <laughs> right. Like, so Nolan's template for casting the rest of the film was actually Richard Donner, Superman, 1978. Uh, Donner, what he did is he surrounded his star, who was relatively unknown at the time as well, with a bunch of great, well-known character actors, uh, guys like Marlon Brando, Gene Hackman, Ned Beatty. Uh, so they cast Batman again similarly. They they cast you know you've got Katie Holmes, who was well known, Rudger Hauer, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, Tom Wilkinson. You know they basically surrounded Bell with a a cast of very well-known, very well-respected actors, which also helps to lend sort of credibility. To their their comic book movie, you know, which comic book movies in the past, I mean, obviously there are some big names in the the Burton Schumacher series, but a lot of that was almost stunt casting, you know. Right. Uh, whereas here, it's like they're not the stars of the movie. None of them are the stars of the movie. Uh, the the stars of the movie, I mean, obviously Christian Bale and Killian Murphy, I guess, Liam Neeson, but there, a lot of these are even bigger names than them, and they're. Small supporting roles. I mean, Rudger Hauer's got four minutes of screen time, and Rudger Hauer's a very well-known actor. You know, I was yeah. so happy to see him, and yeah, he he
0: has very little to do. But no, Justin, you bring up an interesting point because I mean, this is a thing I saw with Nolan as I was like looking into Nolan a little bit more, and I can't wait till we actually just dive into Nolan in general someday. He seems to have an emphasis. Like I've, I've seen this in multiple places, the importance of really working on all of the supporting characters being of great importance, because even if they're only on the screen for just a little bit, they are what actually makes the world real and yeah. believable, like yeah, that absolutely. these characters already feel like they are part of some existing environment that's already happened and they carry it so perfectly. And and it seems like a thing that like saying it out loud, I'm like, that should just be like common knowledge, but I don't know that it is like, I I don't don't know know. know that that's the case with a lot of directors.
2: Just go pull up the resumes, you know, listeners go pull up the resumes of the cast of Batman begins prior to 2005. (laughs) There's no bad actors on that list. They've all, they've all, put in the time and put in the work. And I think it's clear that Chris Nolan sold them on not the fact that it's this big comic book thing. They, they, he sold it to them that it's an exploration of this character. Yes. And they all want to be in those meaty, juicy m- movies that really explore. I, I mean, this one clearly explores the psyche of a very damaged man. Yes. And, uh, and what it what it really takes to do the things that he does in this movie and what and and also what his villains are doing as well. So, I mean, when you when you've got that to approach these actors with like, hey, it, this is this is a these are solid roles. Oh, and by the way, it's gonna be one of the biggest movies ever because it's <laughs> X. yeah, you know, because it's because it's a big poppy franchise. How do you not say no? You can't say no to that. (laughs) I
1: mean, Kelly Murphy is probably the least known in this. Yeah, uh, but he's just a great actor. And and he he, we mentioned he he had auditioned for Bruce Wayne uh, when Nolan didn't cast him. He asked him to play Scarecrow, which I think was a a great choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Liam Neeson, of course, Liam Neeson as Ra's Al Ghul. Uh, Gary Oldman was actually the first choice for that role, but of course we ended up playing. Or for rage yeah nice well i'm saying ross because that's how they say it in the
2: movie i say Raish because that's how dan didio and dan- denny o'neill the guys who created the character well <laughs> i remember i, remember saying, so I, remember I, saying, I call him and, rache.
0: and john gilstrap no that means nothing to anybody else that always used to to say anybody. rache <laughs> and i was like what the fuck like that's don't,
1: right <laughs> where yeah
2: where
1: did that come from a um, uh, guy pierce who starred in nolan's memento Mm-hmm. Uh, said in interviews that him and Nolan spoke about the possibility of him playing the role, but they both kind of decided that he was just too young to play oh, that. for
2: race? Yeah, I, I yeah.
1: Think so, fu- I think Ross. the
0: fun part here is, <laughs> for Roz, I think the fun part is, That this is as dark as anybody will remember ever seeing Liam Neeson. Uh, He's always very stoic and monk-like in every role, and at least up until this point, especially. Uh, Well,
1: that's one of the reasons they they thought it was kind of fun to cast him in the role, is because he had kind of been known as he plays a lot of like mentor types prior to this. I would Mm -hmm. say I would not necessarily say this is the darkest you've ever seen him because Darkman. Uh, sure. Not just because oh, well. <laughs> of the name, but that's a fairly that's a pretty dark character. Yeah, but yeah. but uh, he was. It's but but
0: kinda, I said it, so it's like most people remember him seeing, it, or at least that's what I meant to say. And so, like, I think like
1: big roles, like I love man, but right, but he he was kind of known as playing like these mentor roles, so they thought it would be a really good way to pull the rug out from under the audience when he turns out to be the villain at the end, when he starts out as that mentor, you know? Yeah. When
0: he, when he really gets to turn and show the dark side of an idealist, like Mm -hmm. the, you know, the ideologue, like the, what, what he's doing is the best way. And yeah, I don't know. It was like, he gets to do like a twist to like that, that role.
2: Well, it was something that struck me, like as I was watching the special features and they would interview Liam Neeson and he comes in with that voice, and I was just like, "Oh, he's still in character." And then I remember, it was like, "Oh, wait, no, that's just how he talks." Yeah, that's just. <laughs> yeah. But it's one of those voices that just draws you in, and he has this very fatherly, te- mm-hmm. you know, uh, mentor teacher type thing where you just hang on every word. And he's like, "Oh, and we're gonna sink all the countries, and you know, destroy all the banks, and we're gonna, you know, level <laughs> the city." You're just like, speaking of voices, huh, can okay. we talk
1: about how great? All of the uh, the the British and Irish actors are in this movie yeah. doing American accents. Yeah, really yeah. Because uh, I mean, because they I mean, the, whole, the cast is filled with them. You've got, of course, Christian mm-hmm. Bale. You've got Killian Murphy. You've got Tom Wilkinson doing a great accent, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, Gary Oldman. Uh, yeah. Like they're all doing really excellent American accents.
2: Well, speaking of which, I think uh, especially I know I noticed it in the special features, but I remembered that all the press that Christian Bale did. He kept the voice up. He kept that's what he does. Yeah. He stayed he stayed like in it, that. which when when people <laughs> looked him up and saw that he's British, they're like, What? <laughs> but no, it was a <laughs> yeah. it was a great, it was uh, great to see that attention to detail. Well, Gary
1: Oldman uh, was not the uh, like we said, he was originally kind of considered for for uh Raisal Raish Raish. Is that what you're saying? Raish. Yeah. Ra's Nobody's Al-Ghul. saying that except Ty. <laughs> uh, because Chris, Chris <laughs> Cooper, wh- from you might know from adaptation American Beauty, Chris mm-hmm. Cooper was originally offered the part of Jim Gordon, but when he, he turned it down because he, he wanted to spend more time with his family. So Nolan thought it would be kind of cool for kind of refreshing for Oldman, who was known, especially at the time, for his portrayal of villains, to play the role instead the role of the like the Probably the best dude in the movie. Like the only person, and I'm including Batman in this. Yeah. <laughs> uh One of the only people who's a genuinely good person. Him and Rachel are probably the only genuinely good people in the movie. Yeah. That's 100% Maybe true, Thomas. And, and God, God, yeah, gotta <laughs> love
0: Oldman because you've never seen him more wholesome than so he great. is. He's so
1: snippy. And and it's kind of they kind of he looks like Jim Gordon, especially the Jim Gordon from Year One. I was about to say, and God bless him because he
0: always fucking just lives in the character he's possessing, and he is literally becoming Jim Gordon from Batman Year One. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny about this too is he's. So much more, I don't know if tepid's the right word, but he's so much more like just low key than he normally is as an actor. And uh, I read some that 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 becomes that that happened by accident. He had been learning the lines for this role, like in his kitchen at home, and then on the plane on the way to the filming. And so he was like trying to learn them quieter. And and then he got there and he was just not thinking about it. And then the first scene that he like was with Nolan, quiet. He was playing quiet. And then Nolan's like, Oh yeah, that's perfect. Do that. And he's like, Oh, well,
2: all right. <laughs> well, so, you know it's funny that you mentioned that, but it it's kind of perfect for that character, especially looking at year one, where I mean, we just mentioned that his his look is directly taken out of year one. But Jim Gordon is one of those characters that he's he's a he's a detective. He's a Chicago detective. He's been around. He's been around. He's been around the well. Initially, he comes from Chicago to Gotham. But when does Chicago exist
0: in the DC universe? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: With Metropolis and Gotham. Yeah, it's weird.
2: Yeah, the DC landscape is very is very oddly laid out. (laughs) But anyways, he comes from Chicago, so he's kind of the new kid in town. But he's got some years under his belt, and then he he's the type that sits back and observes and really pays attention to what's going on This is where he first sees you know Flass detective Flass his partner doing the things that he's doing and then he starts is that to the disagree. character
1: that's his partner's partner in this movie Yes Bobby yes. Elvis
2: yeah yeah <laughs> from uh, sons of anarchy yeah, yeah. absolutely and yeah then, i just uh, so I
1: watched john carpenter's
0: vampires and the wife was immediately like i had pointed him out in yeah. that movie and i was like that's a great character actor and was was like,
2: well he's uh, in memento he's the, guy, yeah. he's the guy he's the guy, the guy at the
1: hotel uh, yeah he manages
2: the hotel but yeah it's he's watching so all this stuff you. happen so for him to play it quiet is actually a perfect approach yeah so as he has
1: with all of his films, and this is something I didn't know about, Nolan. Wait, but. can I just say, Justin, I don't mean to cut you
0: off, but okay. you, you, you stepped right over uh, Michael Caine and
1: Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't have any good stories about their casting other than the <laughs> Michael Caine story that I already told. I just, uh, I just love that they are legitimately...
0: Two of my favorite characters from this movie. Like yeah. I think that I mean, and you're right. I mean, I don't know like any great stories from it except for that. Like uh, Michael Caine talks about Alfred was based on his like uncle who was an SAS officer, and uh, that was one of the big things. With Nolan, was they talked about like this isn't just going to be some fucking butler who says like dinner is served, Master Bruce, <laughs> and like that <laughs> kind of thing. It was like no, this is also a badass character. Like he has yeah. a past too. That you don't, we're not going to delve into right now. But he he did say in one interview I read, he was just like, "I'm just waiting for uh, Alfred Year One." <laughs> uh, they tried to do that as a TV show, didn't they? Yeah, yeah they did. Is. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but they're brilliant as friend slash mentor. Well, figure. they also,
1: I think, both of them also get the lion's share of the humor in the movie because they both they both get the funny lines and this movie was way funnier than i I remembered it being because christopher nolan i like christopher nolan as a director but he is not known for his sense of humor Uh, and many of his films don't have much of a sense of humor at all but this one was actually especially with those two with lucius fox and and alfred they get they're they're very funny especially the stuff with with Lucius and Bruce talking where Bruce is asking him all these questions about, you know, the Tumblr and things like that. And he's basically at like telling him that he's going to be Batman without coming out and saying that he's going to be Batman, you know, (laughs) you know, and it's, and because the audience knows what he's doing, it's really funny. And Morgan Freeman has this great delivery in a lot of his movies, but it works really well here where It's kind of a common... It's very like... like, There's a lot of gravitas to it because of his voice, but also there's this kind of impish, like mischievousness behind it, you know? And I think that works really well because of those scenes, and it works really well later when he gets rehired... By Bruce yeah. at the end. Oh, it's, it's oh, yeah.
0: brilliant there. But but no, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because it reminded me of like, I was reading back on, God bless them, chud.com. Like back in the day, I was reading some stuff on there and uh, they had an interview with Morgan Freeman and uh, and he gets asked like, like, how do you approach a character like this? Like maybe this is a little different than what you're used to and blah, blah, blah. Like how do you make it feel real? And he's, and Morgan Freeman like is very much like got, uh, you know, Forgive me, I don't have a Morgan Freeman impersonation. <laughs> <You're> just like, <laughs> well, how do you make it real? You know what the hell you're talking about? Like He's <laughs> like, I read the science. I looked it up. I studied it. And he's like, because I, he's like, you do the best you can on whatever role you have. And he's like, basically describing that he knew what the fuck he was talking about. And so <laughs> when he know. walks in, he's like, you don't sound good as a scientist that's been studying shit forever if you're like, well, uh, the reason uh, the, the chemical uh, functions this way uh, is because I think uh, that it, he's like, no, you know what the fuck it's doing. And he's like, I knew what I was talking about. Like, you've oh, seen, he yeah, was like, he's, that's he's how it's
2: real. <laughs> he's got a couple tricky lines and just nails them. Yeah. Yeah. You'd never, you'd never question the that he's doesn't work in applied sciences. Yes.
1: Yeah. Right. So as he has with all of his films, Nolan refused to have a second unit on this movie. Uh, according to Wally Pfister, the cinematographer on this, who is also a legend, by the way, if you look up his filmography.
2: With good uh, reason. He'd, according he'd, he'd to him. Beautiful movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. According to him, Nolan s- told the studio, why would I want to direct an action film where I hire another director to direct the action? Because that's what normally happens as a second unit director does all the action stuff. He wanted to do it himself. So filming begins in March of 2004, they start filming in Iceland on a on a glacier. Uh, the crew there, and Nolan is kind of known for this, like filming on location. Like you'll see it in Inception where they're all over the place and he travels all over the world to get this shit. The crew built a village and the front doors to Raza's temple there in Iceland. Uh, as you can imagine, shooting on a glacier, the weather was an issue. They had 75 mile per hour winds. They had heavy rains and they didn't have any snow some of the time when they needed snow. They also, there was the the fight on the ice uh, where they're training, where Bruce and and, uh, Roz are training or uh, Ducard, I guess, at that point, are training on the ice, having the sword fight. Yeah. Uh, So they're filming that scene and they hear a crack in the ice. Yeah. And the crew's like, no, get off, get off, get off. And they like have (laughs) to rush to get off the ice. And they ended up going back on. They finished filming. They filmed that all that day. The next day, the lake was water. The ice was gone. Yeah. (laughs) Well, was, I, I imagine the alternate history version of that where both Christian Bale and Liam Neeson fall into freezing water <laughs> below some ice is
2: yeah. that very well could have happened. It's uh-huh. I was talking about this with somebody that uh, that this is this is what sets this movie apart. It was uh, me, right? Off and it head.
0: was literally with just a wit to pee in the part <laughs> that people won't hear.
2: I was trying to avoid. I was trying to keep the curtain drawn, Gary. No. Um yeah, but I was talking with I curtain. was talking with Gary about it during a break, and uh, said this: you you can't get this on a soundstage. You can't. Yeah, and you don't get that so sense v- of scope. Yes huge scope on this and it's so beautiful that i mean and my wife has seen these a bunch of times too but even as she's walking you know by the couch i caught her a couple times just she stops and just and she's drawn in immediately because it's wally just knocked it out of the park yeah it's such a beautiful movie that even if you're not a batman fan you can't help but be drawn in some of those shots made it into the trailer and I have a feeling that some people sat there in the theater and once they saw this, they're like, oh, what, what is this? And then when it's revealed to be a Batman movie, they're like, what? I mean, because it doesn't look like anything else because you can't get something like this with that ice fight scene and with I that glacier like that, it, on the it mountains. It feels in,
1: different than if they'd shot yeah. that like, on a green screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, they, I, I they told
0: did. Pod, like that that has to come up because, I mean, that is 100%. <laughs> something that stood out to me this time watching it through. I was telling him, like, I, I saw this movie in the theaters. I've seen it more than once. But I literally have probably not seen this movie in at least five years. I guarantee you I haven't seen it in at least five years. And watching it this time, it fucking blew me away just how beautiful these shots were. Yeah. Like, it just some amazing shots. And, yes, that Iceland stuff especially, just, uh, just, just fantastic just well, cinematography
2: there and some of the stuff that we talked about during the Romero Savini series about special effects um you know some special effects enhancing the shots as a spe- as opposed to special effects being the shots yes and I think that was so the use of digital was so well done here because there
1: are very few very digital few shots in this yeah very, and, very and few for a film of this size
2: yeah and it every every shot that's in there really just amps up what's already on on film and we'll, it's, we'll get into it really yeah
0: great. like the, the the bats i think it feels like you're probably like the most digital thing that happens in this sure. movie but they don't even yeah. look
1: at honestly the way that they're they're no, pulled they off
0: do. no and and we i mean like i i i read a whole thing about this but like the bats i mean there were real ones in the cave like michael kane describes like what's the most awe-inspiring point of this movie for you is like as i walked into the caves And I saw the bats, and I'm like, those look amazing. Like, you guys did so good. And they're like, no, those are real bats. And they're sleeping. (laughs) Don't wake them up. (laughs) He's like, oh, shit. uh, But, but yeah, a lot of the time, they found that they wouldn't uh, cooperate, so not spend forever on this. But, I mean, there is some real science that went into this fucking movie that people, I don't think, I mean, that at the time was breaking ground like them 3D mapping using like a uh they, they were using like some military stuff like especially yeah. the stuff in um like where Bruce calls in the bats that like in those hallways they mapped the area then they 3D enhanced like bats like in the area but because of the 3D mapping they could like bounce them off the walls yeah. and like them to them. act as it's they just, would in a hallway. Yeah.
1: It's so much smarter than anything I would ever do. <laughs> <laughs> so for Gotham itself, Nolan shot exteriors in London, New York and Chicago. Uh, for some reason, I always thought that he was mostly shooting in Chicago. Cause I guess that's where like, the car chases in Chicago, and that's what I knew. But he—I hey, used- also thought that that was—yeah, strange. I, I always heard Chicago. I also
0: like in some stuff I read, like uh, some stuff in Hong Kong. Nolan. Well, uh, yeah. So well, they didn't shoot in Hong Kong. I'll—I'll I'll get to that in a second. Well, well, I just mean as a frame of reference for yes. like what this city looks like.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the the reason he used multiple locations is to keep the city from being recognizable because at no point do you look at it and you go, that's Chicago, that's New York, that's London, uh, which of course, that's a pretty major departure. The way he shoots Gotham is a pretty major departure from Schumacher and and Burton's films where Gotham doesn't exist in the real world. Like it doesn't look real. This looks like a real city, but not a recognizable city.
2: Mm -hmm. So
1: for, for a lot of the interiors, Nolan shot most of the production in England's Shepperton Studios, which is also where Superman 78 shot a lot of stuff. Uh James Bond shoots a lot at Shepperton. Uh, so you mentioned earlier Gary that that Nolan and Nathan Crowley, the the production designer, they looked at Blade Runner for inspiration. I think Nolan actually made them watch the movie. Uh they also, yeah, they they drew elements from New York, Chicago, Tokyo, but the narrows is Specifically based on a section of Hong Kong that is now does not exist. It's been demolished. There's a walled city called Kowloon in Hong Kong. So I have to admit I was not familiar with what Kowloon is. And the, the Narrows has a very like specific look to it. So I started I went down this kind of rabbit hole when I found out that like a walled city inside of Hong Kong. Like, what is this? And it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. So Kowloon was originally a Chinese military fort. Oh wow! And it became an in the late 1800s, it became an ungoverned walled city. And after the Japanese occupation of Hong Kong during World War II, its population increased dramatically. And by 1990, this walled city, which only measures about six and a half acres, so it's not very big. Contained fifty thousand residents. Holy shit! So people are just like living. You
0: sound like you're uh, from Kowloon Bay as opposed to Hong Kong. I was born in Kowloon Bay. That's what Wayne's World is. That what that is? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how in our notes that we share. I missed this whole paragraph. I apologize, Justin. I did not. I don't know. I skipped it. Apparently all times i read this through but uh because i would have had that wayne's world quote more accurate and
1: prepared i think that's pretty dead on like uh yeah yeah so it's i mean it's pretty wild though i mean imagine fifty thousand people in six and a half acres uh from the 1950s to the 1970s it was controlled by the triads and it had high rates of prostitution gambling drug abuse like it was a rough place so that's visually and conceptually kind of what the narrows kind of represents. Mm. It was actually demolished in uh, 1993, 1994. And now there's like a park there, the Kowloon Memorial Park. So there are like parts of it they preserve, but it's like this pretty little area of Hong Kong now. But what a wild history that place.
2: Yeah. It sounds yeah. like those, it sounds like that area in Brazil where uh, they shot a lot of uh, uh, Incredible Hulk.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, those are the favelas, which, Right or a little bit. That's a bigger area, but yes, yeah it's, I mean,
2: it, yeah, it's more widespread. But just people on top of people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: well I think the trick is is that
0: uh, Nolan. I, one one term I heard him repeatedly in interviews or saw him say in interviews I read is that uh, you know previously we talked about like him talking about like, the, the realism of this situation. He was talking about heightened reality like that's eventually where he landed and that was like the term he used over and over again in some stuff i read was heightened reality like he wanted it to be this reality but like how do we take it to the next level or it's like you can feel it it feels a little further along but yeah anyway you get the idea from the term uh so he took these templates from different places and like tried to combine them into something. But one thing I thought was really cool is that yes, Chicago was a huge one because I, I don't think this was done very often, but like, you know, in those garage sessions I mentioned early on, he, you know, they had sketched out what they thought Gotham city would look like. And then they took, especially from Chicago, like 3d mapping and images from Chicago and like tried to overlay to fit the images of Gotham city. Like, so it's not all just like computer generated design. It's like, what pieces of these cities can we use Composite. in this already 3d map city right. that we yeah. can design now probably fuck it up because i'm not as intelligent as this but but it was like they overlaid those on top of like the idea of what this would look like yeah and so it made a believable real city that yeah. like existed and it was pretty impressive and i, I think that would be the thing that he would take on to things like and prove that it could happen like especially in like something like god inception
1: or something later on
2: mm, yeah
1: i remember one of the biggest surprises people got when this movie was about to come out uh was the reveal of this universe's batmobile that which they nicknamed the tumbler right lucius calls it i believe mm-hmm. so this was so after he created an initial design nathan crowley the production designer he created an initial design based on a technique called model bashing, which is where you buy, you get a bunch of models and you take parts from this one, take parts from this one, put them together and make something new out of it.
2: Which sounds super fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it could be if, yeah. yeah. Nathan Crowley and a couple of engineers by the name of Chris Culver and Annie Smith and a crew of over 30 other people spent two months, uh, based on this design, spent two months carving a full-sized replica of the tumbler out of a giant block of styrofoam. And then they used this model, this styrofoam model, to create a test frame. The test frame had to meet several standards. It had to be able to reach speeds of over 100 miles an hour, had to go from zero to 60 in five seconds, had to have a steering system that can make sharp turns on city corners, and it had to be able to withstand a self-propelled launch of about 30 feet. The first time they tried that, uh, the, the jump, the vehicle's front end just collapsed, and they had to be completely rebuild it. But it was
0: like the the Batmobile, like, was like two and a half tons on the back. It's
2: huge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and so, yeah, they had to account for that. Like, the front was so much lighter. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning that, like, this design um, David Gloria swears that, like, Christopher Nolan had Play Doh Mm -hmm. early on in their discussions and made the Batmobile. Exactly yeah. what it is right now. Like I saw, I, mean, I saw
2: the model; it's pretty damn close. He was like, "This
0: is what I picture," and it's like a Lamborghini mixed with a Humvee. Like this is what
1: it would look like, yeah. and uh so he had it. But Nathan he, Crowley and his 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 engineers had to figure out how to turn that into reality and make it a moving, working vehicle. Well, well the thing yeah, it, the and, thing and, and i, mean, I just think that impressed me about it is cool to think that, like, you
0: know, that Nolan had like the concept like the picture of it in his mind yeah. which is interesting mm-hmm. and like people were able to design around it i don't know yeah i mean everything that you're saying um it was legit like the fucking yeah. thing was legit yeah <laughs> that's
2: that's the thing that impressed me about you know them talking to the stunt driver and of course the engineers that built it they were like it can do whatever you need it to do like yeah it's not one of these, it's not like, you know, you hear those horror stories about like the DeLorean, well, the DeLorean, you know, already had a foot in the grave, but like on, on the set of back to the future, like it, sometimes it wouldn't start and it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't a good car, but yeah. like of all the Batmobiles that have been. Not only did it look super cool, but it could do whatever you needed it. They're like, we, so we have to spin this in this little intersection and not run into anything. The guy was like, okay, I can do that. Can the car do that? And the car that's George Cottle, yeah. By the
0: way, Todd, uh, George Cottle, who's like a like a popular driver on like stunt, yeah, driving. Um, this is a guy who's legit done it all. And yeah. like he, Dude knows he describes stuff. like going into the Batmobile and being like, yeah, I can do this thing. But can your car do this thing? Yeah, like, <laughs> I know how to make it do this thing.
1: But uh, well, it was also and and really hard effort. to drive. Because yeah, for the have, for the
2: back end weighing that much, that throws the physics way off. I well, mean, not
1: that only means, that, but yeah. it was you couldn't see out of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So they actually <laughs> had to drive
1: using video monitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the stunt drivers had to use video monitors to be able to see where they were going. Yeah. So the design and v- development process took uh, like nine months and cost several million dollars. There's a whole article about this on uh, how stuff works. It's really fascinating. I, if you're interested, I recommend it. But after the design was complete, they created four street ready cars and some of them did, you know, where the panels come up, some of them, they all had kind of different specialty functions. They cost about a quarter million dollars a piece, each of these four cars. It's pretty impressive.
0: I mean, I guess that's why they didn't like put these into mass production, but it's, uh, I, it's, it's kind of several reasons, probably why they didn't put these (laughs) into mass production. It's kind of a wicked fucking car, but, uh, I mean, the, the, uh, like I remember seeing like interviews with like Katie Holmes where she's like, I totally get guys' obsession with cars. Like after seeing this one, like this is (laughs) legit. And Christian Bell describing like, I get to do all of this stuff. And he's like, but I still don't get to do the coolest job, which is driving the fucking Batmobile.
2: (laughs) If if (laughs) uh, you're not driving the car, you ain't the man. (laughs) And he's like,
0: and I walked on set and I saw it the first time and I turned to Chris and I'm like, so do I get to keep this after, like, I get <laughs> to keep this car? And Chris looked at me, it was like, are you fucking, are you an idiot? Like, no, you don't get to keep that car. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to keep it. <laughs> and, uh, but no, I mean, it's a badass car. And 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 not only that, but it's worth mentioning, like, the car chase scenes yeah. that it's involved in. Like, this car legitimately is,
1: doing this like you said like yeah. it's it's but I mean, there there are only a couple of moments where they used like a scale model in the car chase scenes but for the most part that car's doing all that yeah yeah and uh, and, and like they 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 made i mean it's worth
0: talking about like they they made a thing like i think they called it the ultimate arm and it was like, yeah, uh, the Mercedes ML fifty five. I was going like, to say that's had, that's the
2: only other car that's more impressive is the camera car,
0: <laughs> right? They had the arm <laughs> coming out with the camera on the Batmobile, and you don't get car to car tracking like you do in this movie. Like generally speaking, Nolan is a fan. No, you, you know, Nolan's a fan of movies, and so he's thinking French Connection. Like, I yeah, want. Yeah. Oh, that, that a car, car chase, chase is
1: very French connection. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: he's like, I want a, a real faster, car but- chase. And I need a place to do it. it not even to get into, like, the, they, they built, like, a whole, well, we can, like, a warehouse set that is, like, you know, it's not a soundstage. Like, they converted a warehouse into a city and they're doing these car chases and generally when you get these kind of shots it's overhead it's like a helicopter following the cars or something but because of this ultimate arm i i I think that's the name of it they have like car to car tracking like it's like a car fucking going right next to the other car you're seeing like it's real time like this is this is happening and it's uh I don't know. It's it's pretty impressive to me. Yeah.
1: Well, I also like that the Tumblr has a, in the story of the film has a function that was made to you know right. create suspension bridges, which is a thing with a lot of the tech in this because that you don't get in a lot of you don't get in any other Batman movies. He just all of a sudden has a bunch of cool gadgets, yeah, which just, just has. And part. like if you watch the Burton <laughs> stuff, you're like well, where did he get this, like, Batarang that's got a Batman symbol? Like, somebody had to make that, right? And so you know, are they getting <laughs> suspicious that they keep getting orders for something with a Bat symbol on it? Uh, but in this movie, they're all kind of, you know, he's got Lucius. Everything has a real-world function. You finally get the que- the answer to the question, where does he get those wonderful toys? Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you finally know. <laughs> I was,
0: I was literally watching it this time, and I was thinking, like, if they had just continued with this storyline, like, you could totally pick up on, because uh, Lucius is great, and what Alfred, I guess it's Alfred, explains, like, well, we ordered this part from these people, and this part yes. from these people, yeah. and they do a very good job of, like, explaining, like, how a man can do this. The caves are pre-carved like they're right they're They're already there it's like a great grandfather's thing of like the slave trade like he was doing the underground railroad or something and it's like it's it's all fun like it's that these these are pre-existing caves underneath wayne manor and uh but but you can totally predict like like later on if they'd have kept along with the storyline that that vicky vale could eventually show up again yeah like I pieced together, I looked at all these sales documents and like all of the, uh, cargo and like, you know, she like puts together like Wayne Manor, like received all of these things eventually, you know, well, like that would have been fun.
2: Comes into play in the next one. <laughs>
1: yeah. So the film open Batman Begins opens on June 15th, 2005 And was, as we all know, a a major hit, a smash hit. Ultimately earned $373 million worldwide and received great reviews from critics. Audiences loved it. It was incredibly influential. Uh, I I think one of the things that gets talked about and it was especially talked about uh, at the time as far as the film's influence is that it made everyone in Hollywood think that they needed to make everything dark and gritty. Right. Right. Yeah. Which was entirely the wrong lesson to learn from this. The, the lesson to learn is make it, make your movie, Makes make sense. your audience care about the characters, <laughs> right. yeah, make, make their the audience based matter. on, make the characters, the main focus of your film, because that dark and gritty thing, obviously it, it's not going to work with every character. We've seen yeah. several iterations of characters who've tried to take that approach and it doesn't work the way that it works here because i think the best todd kind of actually said this earlier i think the best takeaway is that this film is grounded in a sense of reality well i think that i
0: think the best closest comparison if you're going to talk about like superheroes and especially if you want to like like bash marvel and dc against each other like batman like bruce
1: wayne and tony stark are probably Mm -hmm pretty close well like absolutely i mean the way that so and, and kevin feige and, and john favreau have both cited batman begins as a major influence on what they were doing with iron man because iron man they grounded that in reality right they right. They, they chose a character who doesn't have any superpowers he's up he's he's rich and he's able to make these these the suit enhancement toys. uh they didn't they don't really do the dark and gritty thing they actually took the right lesson from this because they made Tony Stark and his deteriorating psychological state as much a focus in the film as the character of Iron Man itself. It wasn't until later MCU movies that they started to veer into the fantastic, but when they were kind of testing the waters of, can we do this cinematic universe thing, Batman begins was their template. This was the movie that they looked at. Cause this is the movie that those movies are very similar and not necessarily in tone, but in, Like, ideas
2: and approach. Well,
0: well, and can I say, like, I mean, the the thing is with this is, like, one of the things that hit me this time, um, if I were to be nitpicky about this film, I mean, one of the things that I would pick apart is there's, as a character, Batman doesn't have as much detective work involved in this film, and uh, he
1: sort of cracks
0: the case, but not really.
1: like he he kind of falls into his lap
0: yeah he kind of (laughs) falls in his lap lap and he he like gets lucius fox to do more of the cracking of the case and uh so it's like in comics as fans of the characters bruce and tony stark are similarly geniuses but this movie fails him a little bit because like in the iron man movies like tony stark figures this out and in this movie like Bruce is relying on his cast of characters to uh, not, not that it's not okay to have like a strong supporting cast, but one of the fun things,
1: maybe not always, but largely had a strong supporting cast that make up the bat family. And so I I don't think it's, you just rely on
0: Batman to
1: also be able
0: to figure out the science of this situation.
2: Well, I think if, Honestly, if Bruce Wayne had come back and he he was so focused on taking down, uh, and I'll say it, how they pronounce it in the movie, Falcone, I think if some other mob boss had, had been involved in this plot with Dr. Crane and Ross Al Ghul, that might have missed him. He would have been so focused on the mob. Mm-hmm. Um, that he might have missed that. It was just kind of, you know, I mean, Falcone is the mob connection in Gotham, so of course he's going to be involved in this deal. So, because he's got everything, he's got everything bought and paid for, as they say in the movie. And Which I think, shame's you know, bond here is what I'm trying to
0: get at. I think, yeah,
2: yeah, pretty much. Uh, but I think, I think if it had been anybody else, then he might have missed this plot. Um, he'd have been so focused on the mob that everything would have just. You know blown him by because he's, well, like he's not that, super, he's not as sharp as someone like Tony Stark, who's quite together. I do like that the movie places like kind of the biggest foes to
1: Batman in this, as not necessarily like a Joker or a, a more over the top character would be, but you've got he's going up against a corrupt city. He's going up against the mob, like villains who are very much grounded in reality. Although, I mean, there are definitely some comic booky elements to this film, more so than I think this movie gets credit for, because it is, you know, often talked about like bringing a realism. And even Christopher Nolan says this, a realism to the genre, and it does certainly. But there's some pretty comic booky shit, like the whole League of Shadows thing is very comic booky. The scarecrow's hallucinogen. Is very over the top and comic booky. Like that's not grounded in reality. The, but it's the fun thing as that hell. the thing that uh, where Bruce can call in Bats as backup, like that's goofy. You know yeah. that can but it, it works the way that it's done in the film works. But if you just on paper, that sounds like a goofy comic book thing. You know, uh, so the movie is a little more comic booky, I think, than people want to, want to give it credit for. But I, I do think that this version of Batman is. Less of a superhero than he is a vigilante with a flair for the dramatic, which is, you know, yeah. of course, the lesson that he learns from Raz Al Ghul. Yeah, well, I, yeah. Think,
2: I think the, the approach that they take on everything else in grounding that in reality and giving explanations where they could come up with them allows the audience to buy into the comic booky stuff, right? Yes. Just
1: Okay. I agree with You that. know what?
2: He's got all this other tech. Of course he has a thing in his boot that summons bats. No, that, yeah, and I buy into it.
1: Yes, exactly. But the thing is that this movie, the, the thing that this movie does so well, and I think that it actually, even though the later films in this trilogy, ramp things up a little bit, mm-hmm. I think this entire trilogy as a whole is really Bruce's arc. It's, it's a beginning to an end. Yeah. And this movie really is, Bruce's story. It's not Batman's story. This is Bruce's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman, as we know him, is not revealed until the second half of the movie. You know, you don't it's, see it's him. It's literally the suit until like over through. forty. I, I I paused it when he's in the car, ready to go, like
0: even conf- confront Falcone. Like yeah. it was like uh,
1: forty-five minutes in at least. You well, haven't this even is a seen a movie Batman it, at, at this point. No, not at all. You haven't seen any bat symbols. You haven't seen anything. You've seen a bat but you haven't seen anything Batman related. Right. And that's because this is a movie that's more about the psychology of Bruce Wayne. It's a, it's about this broken man who's dealing with childhood trauma. You know, that's what this movie is about. So I think that, and this is the first iteration of Batman, at least in film form, that's ever dealt with that side of the character. So I think using Scarecrow, of course, a, a psychologist, Dr. Jonathan Crane works really well with that theme, you know? Oh yeah. And, yeah, and, and of course Murphy mostly plays him as Jonathan Crane, not as scarecrow. He only puts on the mask like twice, maybe three times in the whole movie. Well, I think it's so so. much better too. Like I think as he's scary as Dr. Crane, because he's literally
0: an unfeeling sociopath. The, the best, like his his shining moment, possibly of any moment he's ever done in film, is like him in that warehouse, like where they're dumping the shit in the water, and the he's just like, man. he's here. Who the Batman. man? <laughs> <Like the, laughs> that's, that's a great great delivery. Yeah, really he's is. he's brilliant there. Like he's just and and like the whole like developing like what what his thought processes there yeah. is really good like it's, yeah. he's he has perfect. he has well, some
2: really great underrated moments around that as well of of i i because just a few minutes before is one of my favorite moments of his is where he's just like this is where we make the medicine maybe you should have some
1: well that the In whole head, the whole it's like, like oh sequence <laughs> with him and rachel where he's yeah she's she's discovered what's going on like he's chilling
0: in those is is. like even when you know that he's like leading her out and like this way please you know like yeah
2: yep he's oh just he is hannibal lecter calm in this and it's yeah it it creeps you out no
0: he's he's brilliant like i mean he's absolutely perfect in this role
2: well and using
1: using scarecrow in this also allows nolan to kind of flex some directing chops that i don't think he's ever used before or since and that's that this guy should be directing a fucking horror movie oh yeah. damn it <laughs> yes like because... one of my favorite
0: parts is like a, 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 one of the things I've always remembered about this movie is that warehouse scene with Falcone is yes. like waiting outside of the car yeah. and I've which is just... your
1: introduction to Batman right yeah. yeah
0: it's your introduction to Batman and I'm like this is always like my wife is watching it she's doing other shit at the same time and I'm like watch this I was like, this is a horror movie. This is okay for us to watch in October because this is a horror movie right now. Yeah. <laughs> like these yeah. guys are walking around this warehouse. And just getting and
1: plucked into the darkness by some yeah. unseen force. You know, oh, right.
0: God. And he's just like, and then just like, where are you? And he's like sitting beside them. Here. <laughs> like pulls them up <laughs> into the
1: air. Well, not like, only that, but... And then have a also, scary character. But then you've also got the, hallucin- the hallucinations, the visions that are brought on by crane's hallucinogen and those are terrifying like yeah. they really yeah. are like when when crane gets dosed and he sees that batman that demonic batman in front of uh-huh. him yeah uh, or later when you see like him on the horse and the horse's eyes are glowing like it's some scary ass <laughs> shit yeah <laughs> it is like terrifying drug-induced demonic visions now and it really this is, is in it's a movie a- that is geared towards I wouldn't say children, but younger people.
2: Right. Well, you know? to go, uh, to take this, to go a little bit f- further back, you know, in the times, in the few times that we have seen um, the death of Thomas and Martha Wayne, I don't think it's ever hit as hard as it does. I this absolutely one. agree with that. I feel for that kid every yeah. single time and well, the music, and because... Hans Zimmer and um, James Newton Howard just really they with that with that with Wally's image slowly pulling away from Bruce who just that sense of isolation and loneliness in that moment with that music on top of it it gives me chills every time
1: well you also spend a lot more time with Bruce and his parents in this than you ever have before yeah so you care more about that relationship it's not just like a thing that happened to Batman. You feel it happen because, and you, you spend a little bit more time with with Thomas Wayne, uh, but you see their relationship. They've got a good relationship. Thomas Wayne's a good dude and he's a good father. And, you know, like the scene where he's telling, after Bruce hurts himself, falling down in the well, you know, he's giving him life advice. And and even like when Bruce is scared during the opera, the whole catalyst for their them dying comes from a moment where Thomas is, he's caring for his son because he sees it that Bruce is like scared. And I can't remember the kid's name who plays young Bruce, but he's really good. Yeah. Oh, he's uh, so good. And and I looked him up
0: and he's just like not doing anything. So it's like, I mean, that happens a lot with
1: those kid actors, but you see, and he even doesn't blame Bruce when they walk out. When, when uh, the mom asks, he kind of takes it upon himself. Like he's a good guy. And you really, you really feel it when he dies. I'm going so to tell you something that,
0: like, I, I, I mean, maybe this is not popular, but, like, I even looked at Joe Chill, who's played by Richard Brake. Yes. And uh, God bless Richard Brake, who's, you know, we're a big fan of his cult film lovers, but he plays Joe Chill here, and he even dictates the scene as, like, a a, a concerned, like... He's scared and he's yeah. worried. It's he panics. The, so the reason that they die of, is out of panic. Yeah. yeah, it's like a whole combination of things, which later helps play into, you know, Katie Holmes trying to tell Christian Bale in the car, like, "You want to go fucking kill Car, like, Falcone Like, because you know you can blame the guy who shot your parents, or you can blame like this guy who's fucked up the whole world." <laughs> like yeah. the city that's like preyed upon poor people yeah. like in, in this area and that they're, you know, they're, he's just going to make another Joe chill. Yeah. And, uh, if I I can,
2: it's just cool. And, and this is the last thing. Cause I'm sure we'll try to wrap this up, but, um, I reckon i them. Can... nothing. Let's go for four hours.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Don't tempt me. I I can talk about Batman for four hours. We got two more
1: episodes. So you'll have yeah. your chance.
2: <laughs> but uh, to, to, to uh, Richard breaks um, Joe chill one more time. I, there's a, the scene in the courtroom where uh, the judge says, I understand there's a member of the Wayne here of the Wayne family here today. Does he have anything to say? watch joe chill's face you can yeah. see not only is he genuinely remorseful he's like, oh. but he's actually kind of scared he's yeah. like this might be the nail in my coffin what what is this guy gonna like, say I, then, I, he
0: knows that he he yeah. fucked up this person's life yeah yeah. It's, yeah it's
2: such a subtle performance but like he's very really good. solid
1: so before we wrap this thing up guys i do have a question for you that is a, a point of controversy on this film and this trilogy what do you guys think of Christian Bale's Batman voice? Here's the thing: we'll get I this out of the way, then we want to talk I about. It's going to
0: especially come up in like the Dark Knight Returns or or the Dark Knight. Is that there is? Here's what I can say about it: there is not a fucking person that I talked to at the time of the making of this movie that had a problem with it. It became a memeable thing, which I think is a common thing that happens in today's reality is like you make a meme of it and it's funny and you stick to it. And it's like it makes like a clever thing Then it becomes your opinion and it becomes your opinion. Yeah. No. At the time that this movie happened, that was one of the coolest parts of this. Yeah, he made it was his like voice like a person different. who dictate. Like he changed his fucking voice at the time he was Batman, and so to me at the time, and I know I talked to a hundred comic book fans in a fucking Richards Comics and Collectibles who felt the same way. It was like that's believable. You would change your fucking voice when yeah. you're Batman, and it was not a problem. Later on, it becomes memeable, and I think even. Uh like Pete in Holmes. later movies, they even like deep deepen it even more. Yeah, they did
1: in the yeah. Batman movies, they digitally like change it.
0: But yeah, it's like fun, change. it's fun to make fun of, but it makes perfect sense.
1: And yeah, I, I got no problem, problem with it, honestly.
2: What about you, Todd? I, to be honest, I'm I'm right along with Gary there. I and to be honest, I, I don't think I don't think it was that much of a change that it really made. Much of a difference, other than like again, this whole thing is grounded in reality. Like,
1: yeah, he can go talking his around is, his regular voice, right?
2: Yeah, his voice well, is gonna. He you change your voice a little. Now in the comics, they actually go into like him changing his posture and ta- changing his stance, and which and, is what
1: uh christopher reeve does in in the superman yeah, movie
2: yeah and it kind of slouches when he's clark yeah he hunches when stands tall when he's you know in uniform and all that um so yeah this yeah this is just, it's just another layer of this character and i i had no issues with it at all well the the way that
1: that uh that christian bell tells the story the way that he came up with that voice was he went into audition for warner brothers and he had to put on the Batman suit, Val Kilmer's Batman suit. Uh they put him in, yeah, they put him in Val Kilmer's Batman suit. And it didn't really fit him right. So he's like think sitting there thinking, like, I look like a doofus. <laughs> and he's like, How am I gonna do this? How do I? So he's like, All right, I'm just gonna go in and he's like, I can't do a normal voice. I have to like become, he says, I have to become a beast in order to sell the sell. Yeah this to, to myself in order to tell it to myself more so than to, to than to tell it to them so right. he does this voice and it helps him get the part i mean uh he actually also continues to tell that story and says that he went home to his wife and he said she's like well how did it go and he's like well i kind of did this and he does the voice for her and she goes well you fucked that one up didn't you <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, and and this was something that after watching, because what I did is I watched it once just as is, and then did all the special features, and then went back and watched it with the in with in the in film s- features. Yeah. But I paid attention to how he stood and how and like him crouching, him crouching like a like a like a beast, like ready to. Well, pounce. dude, I mean, and that's worth mentioning. That was so, mentioning. Such I mean, a, that great was a super.
0: That was a central part to him for the suit. Yeah. Like when he had input, like he would when Nolan and Bale, like they wanted him to be able to turn his head. Yep. Not the superhero turn your head, like where your shoulders turn with you. Uh, like had been indicated in every other movie. They wanted him to be actually like functional, they wanted him to squat down. The legs had to be processed because Christian Bale thought like. I want to be able to pounce, like, and I need to be able to, like,
2: you move. Just crouch <laughs> you gotta be and to ready,
0: <laughs> and and yeah, and he even describes like the neck was still stiff, like a panther. Though, like at <laughs> any point, you were ready to like just tear somebody's eyes out, like yeah. you were just like ready, and it was just I don't I don't know, like I think that was all very functional, and uh, so I just wanted to jump in and say that with the suit, like I I think that was. Part of what they were thinking about the voice. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I i remember how funny everybody made the fucking voice be. Yeah. But it's also like, I don't know. I was watching it this time and I was like, I love it. That like I swear to god this didn't happen. Swear to me. I swear to god. Swear to me. Yeah, like, that's fucking scary when you're yeah. hanging upside down totally five works. stories yeah, up like that. Yeah. That's, We're well, like, OK, <laughs> God damn it. Just don't drop <laughs> me on my head.
2: Well, I mean, it makes me think a little bit of uh, Kevin Conroy, who when you listen to Kevin Conroy talk, he had to change his voice to be Bruce Wayne. He he talks like Batman. Yeah. And, you know, most Batman fans will admit that when they read a Batman comic, you hear Kevin Conroy's voice, but it was so interesting that he actually had to change his voice to be Bruce Wayne. He had to bring it up, you know, bring it up uh, in tone and, you know, sort of shorten it and let it, let it sort of bounce a little bit.
0: Um, Well, when you think about the idea that like criminals who are dealing with this person, who is the bat, who is... I mean, as we saw in that warehouse scene where like that shipment is coming in and he's just like sliding out of one side and taking on a person. It's a horror movie. Yeah. He's dropping down from the ceiling, pulling somebody up into darkness. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. when you're finally close enough to talk to the guy, the next step you have is to like make your voice sound as demonic as possible. Like you mm-hmm. want to sound as intimidating as you can make your voice sound. I know it sounds stupid, but it's like, well, as stupid as, the character of Batman could be like, I mean, you know, if you want Batman to be as heightened reality as possible, which is what Nolan is going for. This is that like it. And then it really is. And I, I I mean, yeah. again, we're, I know we're trying to wrap this thing up, but I watched this movie again for the first time in several years. And I fucking loved this movie. I thought it was brilliant. And I think to this day, it stands up next to any other superhero movie. And I'm talking MCU. I'm saying Batman Begins, like, it's real. Like, it feels good. Like, Mm -hmm. I think Nolan made a long-lasting time. Like, literally watching it this time, I was like, you know, the smart thing would be to just recast Bruce Wayne like you recast James Bond and just keep these as the central part of the story.
1: Well, I, I, I mean, I see what you mean because this is so good, but I do actually admire Nolan and Goyer's decision to allow this to have this story to have a beginning, middle and end, which is something we'll get into in the coming I, weeks
2: yeah as i re- right. i recently came to that too because i was a big i was a big proponent of like hey why didn't they just keep this going but like here this, watching it here watching it again i was like you know what bruce wayne I'll has take a, a beginning middle and end That's bruce awesome. wayne
1: has yeah. an arc throughout these films which you yeah. don't get with james bond right uh james well, Bond again just i like, haven't seen goodness. these movies in forever
0: like yeah. i really haven't
1: So Uh, I'm I'm almost coming
0: at it as new. I don't think I've seen Dark Knight Rises since theaters.
1: Well, you're going to see it in the next couple of weeks, Gary. (laughs) Because next week we're continuing our Dark Knight trilogy series with, of course, The Dark Knight, probably the most popular and most successful of the three films from 2008. You guys know where to find it. It's on whatever streaming service you want to find it on. It's easy to find. Unlike some of the movies we talk about on this series, this trilogy at least is going to be easy for you to find.
0: Justin, you're a fantastic host and a narrator and all of those things. But uh, two things. One is that I really want to establish that I think this is one of the most influential movies of the 2000s, like the early 2000s. I swear to God, I mean that. I think we've established that. All right, good. Also, (laughs) we have it done... Uh, a favorite segment of mine.
1: Oh, man. I keep forgetting oh. about it. I keep forgetting about it.
0: <laughs> well, Gary, let's hear it. Well, Justin, it turns out somebody needs a nap. <laughs>
1: so this is our, we should say this is our segment for those who might not have listened before since we started doing this, where... Gary finds someone who does not like this movie.
0: Uh, it's, 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 it's not only that, mildly. but one star reviews. One <laughs> I was going to say, reviews. at least on Amazon, it's a one star review. <laughs> like they are so much not a fan of this movie. I have three today, and I hope we can stick through it since we're just like going so in depth into uh, Batman Begins. I hope you guys have time for it. Uh, the first one is easy, it's from Scott. That's all he gave. He said, one star. Fell asleep, didn't get to watch the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> <laughs> review. Thanks, Scott. All right. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> one star. Uh, here's the next one. It's from Curio, it's his name. And he says, I suppose Hollywood producers could not leave Batman alone in the current revival of every existing comic figure. Even in the last film series had always exploited most of the possibilities with one peak achievement, the beautiful Batman Returns, with the superb Michelle Pfeiffer as the deadliest and most convincing Catwoman ever. I know that that was a confusing whole sentence, but it was legitimately one sentence in this review. So to find something new we have here, uh, let's go back to the beginnings. Hark! Hark! Such a novelty this is. Try to explore what was purposely left unsaid by the creators of the character. There is the usual sticky sweet story of a poor soul wronged by men and fate who after a long wandering in the dark discovers his real self. Hark! Hark! In the far <laughs> East. Among Kung Fu teachers, <laughs> there is the usual corrupted to the core where all people are desperate and desperately evil. But this review written by of- Dudley
2: Moore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I swear to God, I'm just reading this fucking thing. Okay, But where a group of righteous souls still works for the greater good, taking an airplane to some more reasonable result. I don't even know what the fuck that means. Ethics are trite and commonplace completely uninteresting. So is character development and interaction. Christian Bale is as intense as grated Parmesan, and so is Katie Holmes. The others are fairly good, each up to the not-much-required, give sense to the senseless lines they are given. (laughs) Situations and atmosphere are convincingly gloomy and desolate. This film appears to have many very vocal fans, but can only be seen switching once synapses off.
1: I can just wow. picture that guy adjusting his fedora as he...
0: <laughs> well, here's some random points I'd like to make about the movie. Is this the same review? Are we still on the same guy? I don't know. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one. This is from Leland Palmer, and he gives like at least... Leland Palmer, points. the character
1: from Twin Peaks, is writing a <laughs> review of Batman Begins. It's a review of Twin Peaks. Laura Palmer's father is not a fan of <laughs> Leland of Palmer NBS. says
0: this and he gets four points. Number one, when did the bats to make him start yelling like a WWF reject when he's not yelling, he slips into some strange two packs a day for 30 years croak. Sometimes <laughs> the voice is so raspy. You can close your eyes and picture him on the porcelain throne straining as best he can, as he can, You even wonder if he might be on the verge of defecating from his mouth. That is seriously how hard he is trying. I'll wait for the super collector's edition deluxe director's cut when they reach the voiceovers and give him back his calm, menacing voice. For the time being, I'm left to giggle and or weep silently whenever he tries (laughs) to talk whilst in the suit. Wow. <laughs> Number two, Nolan that was is just a cow- one point.
1: <laughs> that was just one point. That was
0: one. We got four. One. Number two, Nolan is a coward. I think there oh. are two scenes where he had the guts to make Christian Bell stand still and let us look at the costume for more than 1.3 seconds at a time. I guess it doesn't matter since there are only 11 minutes of screen time left when Nolan finally gets around to letting Christian Bell wear the goddamn costume to begin with. <laughs> Was he afraid the other kids would make fun of him? Was he ashamed of how it turned out? Even Scarecrow only puts his mask on for a quick burst, just barely long enough for, say, a fart to dissipate. Scarecrow, <laughs> doesn't even have to sneak away and change into any kind of costume. That's how lazy Hollywood has become, people. Wow. Number three, Katie Holmes dials in a performance from the WB. It's moments like her, it's what's on the inside. That's what's on the inside. (laughs) Well, that's not a direct quote because I can tell you that's not a direct quote. Uh, (laughs) That make you weep for with centuries of intellectual development that have been wasted. Later in the movie, when Batman regurgitates this gem past all of the bat stuck in his throat, you'll be forced to question whether mankind has even the right to exist anymore. Wow. Jeez. Number four, the version of Bruce Wayne doesn't
1: need justice and vengeance.
0: He needs a support group and designer antidepressants.
1: To be fair, every version of Bruce Wayne needed a support group. (laughs)
0: Yeah, There you go. (laughs) Justin, you fell down that well once. Does it really take a ninja school for you to finally come to terms with that? Are you crying? There's no crying in Batman. This Bruce (laughs) Wayne isn't driven by passion and obsession that fuels the grim exploration of his limits and capabilities. This This Bruce Wayne is a whining pansy who needs somebody to hold his hand and show him where the bathroom is. When I'm watching a Batman movie, I should never feel like I want to pat him on the head and say, there, there, everything will be fine. Have some more milk. Is that better? Good. Now get up (laughs) off your can and put the damn costume on. Beat some people up and keep your mouth shut while you're doing it.
1: (laughs) I'm going to give him points where there's no crying in Batman. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. <laughs> anyway, my point is, there are a lot of people. Somebody needs a nap. <laughs> well, thank you, Gary, and I think that wraps up our discussion of Batman Begins. We'll be back next week with the Dark Knight for Mister Todd A. Davis. Yay. Thank you for being our special guest this week, Todd.
2: <laughs> thank you for making me your very you're special not a guest.
1: Special guest,
0: you're just <laughs> a co-host. Tired of hearing that you're special. It is offending me as a person. <laughs> Are you just sad that I don't call you special every week? You don't Harry? call me, spe- you me special. You never call me special. You've never appreciated me as a co-host. You never appreciated what I contribute to this goddamn podcast.
1: <laughs> well, you do pay for the Zoom subscription, so I do appreciate that, Gary. Thank God you. God damn it.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. well, hey, I am at this is Gary
1: Horn. Okay. I'm at Justin <laughs> underscore Bishop. I'm at, Mr. Twitter Todd da- I'm and at Mr. Todd A. Davis on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, We're trying to wrap this thing letterbox,
2: D and D beyond.
1: Thank you, Todd. Until yeah. next week. No, listen to me. We I don't got- think anybody <laughs> fucking
0: tuned into this episode and got more of a fucking in-depth detail about Batman McKinnon's than you can get from this episode. So you fucking tell your friends Tell everybody that this is the podcast. Like if you want to know about the movies we talk about, God damn it. We delve into it because I read about this fucking movie for two hours, at least today not to I, mention the rest of the week.
1: Yes, we we put a lot of we put a lot of work into this. I was writing notes literally in my car earlier today as I dealt with a dead battery. <laughs> and I had my laptop in my car with me while I waited on my battery to charge so I could write notes so we could get this podcast out to you on time. We I guarantee you, Christopher folks.
0: Nolan doesn't even remember as many details about Batman begins. <laughs> as we just presented to you mm-hmm. in this podcast. And I don't mean that to be a dick. Seriously. We're gracious and uh, grateful for everybody who listens, but seriously, like let, let, let your people know. It would, yeah. You know, it somebody likes Batman,
1: send them this episode, let them know that another one's coming next Thursday as well. Uh, we've got resident Batman, uh, expertise here on the show with mr todd davis uh, this, is the, this is the most enthusiastic about a series that he will ever be for any series that we will do on this show so soak it in <laughs> all right and you can follow us at cinema underscore shock on twitter and instagram find us on facebook or at cinemashock.net rate review and all that shit that people say at the end of podcast because it really does help now can i do the we- thing <laughs> until next week <laughs> Now can I do that? Yeah. Now, now's the time. Until next week,
0: may the wings of liberty never lose a feather.
1: Be excellent to each other.
2: It's gonna be. He has the
1: keys. God no, he just said it <laughs> in a Batman voice. <laughs> That's oh, it. I like,
0: did
2: it. it. That's it. That's it. He's
0: surely gonna pick a Batman. That's phrase. it.
2: That's it. No, nope. uh, you guys have to help
0: Todd with the closing <laughs> phrase. All right. Well. I just
1: said it in a Batman voice. Yeah.
0: This is why we don't, uh, by the way, release the uh, video of our, <laughs> our episodes. Yes.
1: So that we can do uh, extra takes.
0: Because yeah. we're all, at some point, each one of us has been called masturbating
1: on camera.
2: This is <laughs> or, disturbing. Or refuse to comment.
0: How does this
1: relate to Batman, Justin? Well, Get back on track. This, I'm hoping most of this gets cut out. <laughs>